0: You are listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan, and this is our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. This is a series of author interviews that we've been doing all summer long with a variety of different authors, writing in different genres, and writing from very different points of view in terms of experience. I enjoyed these two conversations you're about to hear because the two women we're talking to today are first-time mystery writers. They've written two very different books. Uh, They both happen to be mysteries, and they both happen to be set in the state of California. But other than that, they don't have anything in common. But the reason I paired these two interviews together is because both these women had accomplished careers uh, for decades in different kinds of work. And then they decided midlife, later in life, to sit down and write novels for the first time. And I always find that really interesting. I get asked that a lot when I'm out on the road talking about my books, Um you know, why did you do this? I didn't write my first novel till I was 40, and uh, and I learned a lot from that experience. And so, when I meet other writers who sort of enter into the fray at a later stage in their life, I'm interested in how that happened. The first writer I'm going to talk to is Chris Calvin. She is a longtime political lobbyist and worked in and out of uh, California campaigns and the California political system for decades. And she reached a point in her life where she thought that she wanted to give mystery writing a try. And so she wrote a first draft and she thought, nailed it. And um, (laughs) then she had someone read it. And really, no, she didn't nail it. So then she did the very hard work of writing, which is the rewriting and getting it right. Now, Chris Calvin is out on a book tour with her first novel, One Murder More. And listen to why she thinks it's been a transformative experience for her and why she thinks you should do it too. Go ahead, write that book, write it. The other author we're talking to today is Anne Flett Giordano. Her book is just a very funny, very sharp written mystery set in Santa Barbara called Mary Kiss Kill. Now, Anne Flett-Giordano is a five-time Emmy Award-winning television writer who writes for such shows as Frasier and Hot in Cleveland, and now she's on the show Mom. Um, But she found she had a little gap in her schedule, and so she thought, yeah, sure, what the heck, I'll write a mystery. And it turned out to be a very different experience than sitting in a writer's room writing a TV show. Um, So both of these women bring their previous work experiences to the page but just have found uh, the experience of writing a novel transformative is what I'll say. So I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews. I should mention that after Ann and I spoke Her novel, Mary Kiss Kill, was just nominated for a Skyba Award. That's a Southern California Independent Bookseller Association Award. So congratulations to Anne. I know she's got a bunch of Emmys and all kinds of other things, but it's really special to be nominated for your fiction if that's not your background. So congratulations to Anne. We're going to start first with Chris Calvin. Her book is One Murder More. It's my pleasure here on Satellite Sisters to talk to Chris Calvin. She is a debut novelist, but she has a long and interesting career in politics that has fed right into her wonderful mystery book, One More Murder, takes place in Sacramento in the capital of California, a place Chris is very familiar with. And we're going to talk a little bit about her background, what led her to write this mystery, and what kind of lessons that might teach other people who are listening right now who think, you know... Got a book in me. Hey, Chris, welcome to Satellite Sisters.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You know, have you uh, had fun having the book out? It's been out about a month and this is the first one for you. Has it been an experience that you've enjoyed? Is it different than you thought it would be? What's the first month as a published author like?
1: I think like most things, uh, there's some of each of that. Uh, There's certainly a great deal of joy. Like most authors, my book took probably three years from the day I sat down to start writing until it was published and launched. And so it's a lot of waiting and wondering and concern uh, over whether people will like it, over whether I'll be able to communicate, uh, all the things that I felt as I was writing it. And so when each good thing happens, uh, the amount of joy is compounded by the amount of time (laughs) that it took to get there. I I can't even tell you. There have been days when I have literally jumped up and down in my house just because someone on Amazon wrote a good review. <laughs> I was just so happy that my goal of of entertaining and I, I hoped to entertain intelligently and I didn't know if that was going to happen. So um, most of it has been good. I think the hardest parts um, have related to not understanding the process very well as a debut author. Uh, I what think, do you mean by that? Well... It takes time to know whether your book is going to have a life. Um, When it first comes out, there are a certain number of people who know me or know my publisher or uh, know someone who wrote a review about the book, so you get some uh, reception and sales instantly, and the first week feels like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I'm going to write the second book. It's all happening, and then by the third or fourth week, as you have to wait for the people who bought it to read it and tell other people, things start to slow down, and it's hard if you persist in uh, sort of a vacuum, which can happen to writers, Mm -hmm. right, as we're at home and doing a lot. It took me venturing out, uh, talking to other writers and authors in the Sacramento community, having them really uh, sort of hold my hand through and understanding that this is a -a six-month-to-a-year process, even as I have to sit down and start the second book.
0: You know what? You have learned a lot, Chris Calvin, <laughs> in a month because that's one of the lessons as an author myself. And when people ask a lot now about self-publishing and should I do this or should I wait for the traditional publishing route? And you know there are a lot of pluses and minuses to both, but I, I try to stress like you really can't underscore how important distribution is. Like it's great to publish a book, but if no one buys it, that's terrible. (laughs) And and getting the word out and getting them to buy it and getting the book to have legs, that's the part that takes a long time. There's a reason things are slow to come to market. Yeah, you could write a book this week and publish it on Friday, but that doesn't doesn't mean it's going to
1: sell on Monday. Exactly. And I think for me, because I had run for a local public office where I had to go out and meet people I didn't know walk door to door, raise money, um, ask people for things. And I did it at that time, obviously, because I was committed to something. I I ran for school board and I wanted to to make a difference for kids and so on. It's a little easier than when you're selling your book and that's your art and it's a a for-profit endeavor and so on. It's a different kind of uh, marketing, but nonetheless, I had that experience. So one of the ways I've been spending my time in this month since launch is contacting every single one of my LinkedIn contacts individually. Oh, that's what you do with LinkedIn. That's it. Oh,
0: (laughs) I've been wondering what that LinkedIn, what I'm supposed to do with that profile.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and I don't, you know, I do cut and paste, but I say something personal. I think about the person as I write it, you can get their emails off of LinkedIn, obviously. So I don't send it through LinkedIn mail and I send individual notes saying, here's my book might not be for you. How have you been? How are George and the kids? (laughs) You send something that's sincere. It only works if it's sincere, but for probably every 30, I send one person writes back and says, wow, I do like mysteries, or I do like politics, and I will buy that book. That is the long slog um, that isn't the writing part. I I say to people, it's hand-to-hand
0: combat. It is. It's like it is hand selling the book one by one. And that's I think it's really impossible for people who have dreamed about having a book coming out to understand what that process is like. So you are you are speaking about it uh, very well. You know, Chris, let's talk a little bit about your background before we talk about the plot of One Murder More. Um, You have spent a long time in politics. You live near Sacramento. Uh, What exactly have you done? What what have you done professionally? Were you a lobbyist because the hero of your murder? mystery is a lobbyist which I like because I think as the public the lobbyists are usually the bad people in books but in (laughs) your book she's the hero was that part of your resume being a lobbyist
1: no, although I have a lobbyist who reports to me in my, in my current position. So I'm CEO of the American Academy of Pediatrics in California. That's my day job. And I've been doing that uh, since I got out of graduate school in economics, so for many, many years. Uh, and in that job, one of the main things that pediatricians are interested in is which laws and programs that are being considered in our state will be good for children's well-being generally. So not just health care, but beyond that, uh, bills that are about video games or foster care or you name it related to kids, I read them all every year. So I probably read at least, I would say, 500 some years more um, proposed bills and programs in, in California, and then I work with a group of doctors who determine what position they want to take, and I have a lobbyist who reports to me. I write most of the letters. I sometimes testify. So I have a close to a, to a lobbyist kind of position that I've had for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, In addition, as I mentioned, I was on a local school board, and so I was an elected official, and I think... Did any murders happen on the school board?
0: Because I know that's a contentious position.
1: Sadly, way, way back when in South Pasadena, long, long before I was on the board, there actually was a, a... uh, mul- there were multiple murders. Someone came in and shot several members of the school. Oh my birth. God. So that's oh, I didn't in know the history- that. No, it's in the history of South Pasadena. Um, but no, I know you were, um, that was tongue in cheek. So no. But I, but. I think what was most interesting to me, both in my background now, my current work in Sacramento and the state level and the local level, is how much people outside of politics think it's only about what party you belong to. And certainly that's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of partisan bickering and more now than there ever has been, and that saddens me. But I I feel like it's as much about a person's integrity and their – Capacity for compassion that makes them a good public servant, regardless of which party they're with, regardless of how they think the problem should be solved, you know, becomes a cliche, but really you can't reach across the aisle and have conversations if you're just kind of a jerk. So, what what I wanted to (laughs) capture in One Murder More was the idea that uh, people of different parties are of varying levels of ethics, varying levels of kindness, and I didn't want the murders to devolve into Which party wanted something, which I think more in um, more typical and you can't really call house of cards typical, but in many things that I enjoy that are political in nature, a lot of it is about the war. It's about the partisan war. Mm -hmm. And and my interest was in getting people to think about not only lobbyists who are often negatively stereotyped, um, but everybody who works in uh, politics as being more human than we usually think they are.
0: Well, there's a good cast of characters you have there in One Murder More. Had you always wanted to write a mystery? Was that always in your personal plot line? You thought, okay, I'll do this for however long, and then someday I'm going to write a book? Or was this a new piece of reinvention for you?
1: So never. I never expected to write fiction. I wasn't one of those kids who grew up telling stories and writing, and I had never any interest in being a fiction writer because I have to write so much nonfiction daily (laughs) in my job, (laughs) policy briefs and memos, and especially working with doctors who need everything to be right because if a prescription is off, someone will die. So if there's a space that's wrong, it can get sent back. So I think that I, I... felt at some point, because I read so much, I'm an avid reader and I read a couple books a week and a lot of them are mysteries. At some point I thought, you know what, I'm going to get up before my kid gets up four to six in the morning, write a little bit creatively, maybe I'll, you know, have some fun. So I didn't have any sense at that time that it would become the most important thing in my life. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I know you're an author and, and as a, a writer, um, there just becomes a point at which I don't understand why it never came out before. I don't understand why now that I'm, you know, going to be sixty, uh, this has become something that I recognize as important to me. But it, it, I think anyone who has. Sort of a whim. We don't allow ourselves whims, right? Our lives are right. so busy. We work so hard. People have kids. That's a big part of it. Um, I was a single parent for over thirty years. So I was raising, you know, two generations of kids. Um, I think that at some point, just doing something, just because you want to, might open that door to what you feel you have to. But I think and, you said something pretty key because, um, if I had a nickel
0: for, uh, every time someone said to me, I wish I could find the time to write, I would be, uh, a lot wealthier than <laughs> a novelist is. Uh, because you don't find the time to write, you make the time to write. And you said you got up and wrote between four and six. And I do a lot of early morning writing too. You know, various times in my life, I've had to work that's that very similar schedule based on the other stuff I was doing. And I, I think that's another piece that people don't understand. Doesn't gobs of time almost never fall on your lap? <laughs> right. No, <laughs> I, exactly. I found it.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I I think the other thing for me is that. I was terrible at it at first. When I finished my first draft after three months, I thought it was great. I was clever. I was funny. I was happy. You know, I just was really thrilled with that. But someone had advised me to find an expert. So no matter what you're doing, whether it's writing or something else, I paid a developmental editor, uh, Kristen Weber, who's down in L.A. I didn't know her. She was referred to me. Uh, She read the first draft and said, it's terrible. She gave me 50 notes on 300 pages, 50 pages of notes. I'm sorry, 300 pages and said, this is clear. You're a clear writer. You have a strong voice, but you your characters are experiencing things through one sense, the sense of sight. Nobody touches anything. Oh, Nobody that's funny. It's good. Note. Nobody smells anything. She said, "Go read these two books." She gave me very basic books. I think they were How to Write a Mystery or How to Write a Novel. And <laughs> hey. I was I was devastated. I'm yeah. not a crier. I sobbed for I think a whole day. Yeah. My son really wondered, you know, who had died, and to really? me, my book had died. I, yeah. I didn't think I could try. And so I had to go back and realize that enjoying something doesn't equate to being good at it, which is weird, right? You think you'd enjoy the things you're really good at. The thing I enjoyed the most at, I, I stunk. So I spent <laughs> at least a year going to writers' conferences, talking to authors like you who are willing to, you know, sit down with me a little bit and say, mm-hmm. craft it this way, do it that way. And I went through several rewrites. Another editor, the murderer, even changed. I mean, oh I had really? To- this was an enormous transformation, yeah. and in the end, as as you know, I think it's being very well received. Yeah, I, I'm the second one. I hope I will know something. Yeah, I hope. But
0: a lot of people don't do that work. You know, a lot of people would have taken after the notes, the fifty pages of notes, and shoved the whole project in a drawer. You know, because it it is devastating when people I, I turn around and say this is this is terrible. Yeah, yeah. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support satellite sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day... And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSisters for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Oh, I mean, it's and it happens to many, many writers on their first try. Why, When you think about it logically, like, why should you be able to write a book? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's you've serious. never done it before. It's not like your first time out, you're going to be playing
1: at center court Wimbledon, you know, you're not going <laughs> to No, so. but we wish we always hope, yeah. hope you know, that it's yeah. going to be easy, that one thing would be easy. And I think that was my greatest lesson in this too, is that, um, I, at least, was always looking for something easier. Again, being a single parent, having a job that was often 80 hours a week. Many people have this, and I'm not unique in that. But, you know, I hoped to find true love. I hoped to find uh, a pot of money under my couch. You know, I just wanted something to be easier. Right. And because the book felt easy to write – I thought I had stumbled into something that would give me that shortcut. Um, I think it's no better than you know marrying the guy you meet in the bar the first night. You know, it's just it's not, it's not there, um, and it didn't it didn't work that way. But now I feel. Um, I, You know, it's funny. I my birthday has never bothered me. I my mother was of the generation where every year she turned 29, that was our birthday party every year. And so I was absolutely determined to share my age widely all the time to have my daughter have a role model of a woman who shared her age widely. We would have the cupcakes covering the table when I turned 50, so that all the kids in the neighborhood could come in and blow out the candles. It was all fun and games until I got to 60. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I just I suddenly realized it felt like the gateway to 70. It felt like it oh. was the gateway to 80. I no longer could just think about 60 and say, wow, I know a lot of sixty year old women. In fact I know a lot of seventy year old women who could, you know, are vibrant, do everything that I can't do, scuba diving, whatever. But I I somehow framed it wrong. And when I wrote the book it was suddenly like, okay, this is not the ending. This is not about what did I get wrong in my life. This is not about, you know, mistakes. This is about I better live long enough and with enough energy and enough everything I want and, a, you know, a, a, a look that I can look at in the mirror and stomach no matter how how old I get because I want to be out there. I want people to connect with my work. So it changed. I am – excited 60 feels young all of a sudden and 70 feels young all of a sudden That's because good. i know those years it's great one of my
0: sisters, Julie, is turning 60, and she's uh, said that she feels like she's the youngest in a whole new age group. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I should keep that idea, too. That's yeah. good. She's She said 50 was hard, but 60, I'm in good shape for 60. <laughs> I'm looking good. I'm the youngest of a whole
1: new age group. So That's nice, too. I think we have to find ways, unfortunately, as women in this culture. There's not a lot of not given to us. um To embrace that. Right. Right. And I feel like um, you can't force it. I kept trying to force it. I was like, oh, I was happy at 50 and 55. You know, I couldn't force it. And so um, I do feel like finding whatever the frame is. And for me, it was um, this frame is so freeing. It's just a really it's been really nice.
0: Well, I think the older people get to having some kind of creative outlet, if it becomes a book that's published or if it becomes just painting or becomes flower arranging or gardening, whatever your creative outlet is, it becomes more and more important in terms of how you see yourself and what you've accomplished in your life. So I'm all for creativity. You spend a lot of years sort of tamping it down because you got to get the job done. You got to get the kids out the door. The paycheck has to come in. But if there's a point in your life when you feel like you need a boost, I think turning to a creative a project is a great way to go. Um, Did you have a lot of um, readers in the political process once you went to all your your conferences and you did all your rewriting? Did you show it to a lot of people there in Sacramento,
1: anybody in Sacramento to get feedback? So because of the kind of work I do... um, I often use sort of ad hoc focus groups. So for example, you're probably aware in California, there's been a lot of controversy around vaccines yes. and a recent vaccine bill, and I was one of the um, people involved in the weekly strategies and so on. That's a bill that I've that I've worked closely on. And so at some time prior to that, before the bill was even introduced, I worked with groups of parents who... Really were opposed to vaccines and and um, tried to understand and and learn the reasoning and could see they really loved their children and you know just a different perspective and tried to get us away from this. Um, the, a lot of anger around that issue. So I took that same technique to my book, although I didn't expect a lot of anger. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'll get people from different backgrounds and Republicans and Democrats, exactly what you're saying. I'll sort of get people and I will... Um... A bipartisan book group, bipartisan <laughs> writers group. Good. Yeah, and I and I had had no writing classes prior to that. No, no, I never took any even creative writing English in college, nothing. So um, I, I had had no one read it other than my, at that time, 14-year-old son, who I could hear him laughing from the other room, so I thought that was pretty good. But I didn't have anyone else who had looked at it. So I did it anonymously, mean, meaning I sent them uh, a code where they could go to a survey Monkey and they could um, for get a $25 gift card if they read the book and answered, like, three questions, so just like my other focus groups, three you questions. You are an operative. You're an <laughs> <What>? operative. <laughs> who are your favorite characters? Would you recommend this to someone? Very simple. So I think one, one thing that I didn't understand, because I was so new, it, is I did that with something close to the first draft. It wasn't the terrible first draft, but it certainly wasn't what the book is now. Mm -hmm. I was still delighted that 70% of the people, you know, these not randomly chosen, and you know, people who knew me, even though they were anonymous, said, yes, I would recommend it, but here are some things you should think about. So, it was helpful. I will say that the final draft, no one had read when it was sent to John Lesquois and Robert Dugoni and well-known authors for reviews, and I was terrified, because I hadn't given it to any Yeah. And I think I would maybe do that a little bit differently. I was fortunate because it it happened to meet their taste, and they happened to like it and be supportive. That could have gone another way and it probably would have been crushing. Yeah.
0: Real, but it wasn't it went because the book is really very solid uh very well plotted very laid out you can tell that you spent a lot of time on it and that you have an inside perspective on it so what can we what's up next so are you working on a second um Marin is your is your she's your lobbyist slash um detective in the book you know s- solver of mysteries so you're working on a second one is it happening now or have you already written it
1: so, yes, it's a three-book um, series so far, and then we'll see how much farther I get or whether I do something else, but I'd love to have 10, 15 Marin books. I mean, I think it, it is an interesting character. Um, so I am on the second one. It's called A Timely Murder, and so one murder more than A Timely Murder, and the third one, I don't have a title. Okay. Uh, this one will bring her also to Las Vegas, so Sacramento, and she'll have a little fun up in Vegas, and we'll see what, <laughs> what happens there. Uh, it's I don't want to just do another bill going through the process, as interesting as I think that is. That was interesting. Uh, that was
0: kind of... Oh, subplot. Oh, so I did, I, again, you know, you learn a lot about the political process and I think, uh, state politics, there's, it's small time and big time at the same time. You know I what agree. I mean? So I, it, it, there are, you know, you do get the feeling in your book that everyone knows everyone in Sacramento. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, it's a big state and there's a lot at stake. So, um, I like that. All right. Thank so you. the second one doesn't have a bill going through the process. No,
1: but it will have, there are a couple, there will be a campaign. So i will oh, Yeah, Noel, her brother, who is sort of high-functioning but has some real social awkwardness, as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a very interesting character, I think, not only to me, but other people have um, seemed to connect with here's someone trying to do a lot of things, and it's also not easy for him. He will run for school board, so again, I like to do something that I know about. Okay. So there will be a campaign, there will be some, but of course there will be deaths, kidnapping, arson. I'm not clear exactly what bad (laughs) things will happen. Uh, But that's the fun for me, is I... um, I, I like uh, the the safe um, the safety of doing something frightening within a book. So there's never any you know <laughs> severed limbs or children terribly at risk. As you know, mine is sort of a light. Um, it's meant to to not give people nightmares, and at the same time, I I like them to worry enough um, to be relieved when it's over. Yeah, to keep the pages turning. Well, it exactly. certainly does. It certainly does. Thank you so much. And uh what what do your kids think about this? Are they surprised? Well, it's kind of interesting cuz when once I tell you what my kids do, you will see um that they were there at least echoes of them. There are no characters who are exactly who they are, but uh my two oldest, so my daughter who's 34, uh is a death penalty appeals lawyer. So oh. she helped me with some of the, you know, without all the errors are mine, <laughs> but she did help me with some of the things there. Uh, understanding some of the legal things and so on, and incredibly supportive. Um, My son, who is 33, uh, is a school board member in San Francisco. He's the youngest one, and he doesn't have kids, but he ran um, and had to get like 100,000 votes, so I was involved in his campaign. He does terrific things in education and for kids, so he was also very helpful to me in just sort of testing out. He was even a a Senate fellow in Sacramento. Oh, uh, okay, that's a fact in the book. Both my older kids have Um, some background and were very helpful. My youngest son um, who just went off to college last year is the one who had to live with me (laughs) while I was doing all this. Um, He, It's interesting. I had um, what a lot of people go through, which is I I had a serious health scare and it was fine and I'm fine. But I had about six weeks where uh we didn't know whether i had some kind of life threatening cancer because the healthcare system works slowly and the tests don't look good and then they look fine but um my youngest son Nate was uh with me through that and i was about halfway through the book at that time and he um was with me coming home from one of the tests where i was very discouraged and i said you know if i if i don't get to live a long time and this is a little bit what i was telling you earlier i said the the one thing i'll be really sad about is that i won't get to finish my book and I remember him looking at me, sort of in shock, like, "Not that you won't get to see me grow up or have grandchildren, or you know." It was like, I think yeah, for I mean, both of us, that's kind of a like, heavy conversation. It's very cause... heavy, and I, I had never said it out loud. But what's interesting is my, my youngest son, like, like all my kids, because we think all our kids are remarkable, but I do think they are. He sort of recovered quickly, and he looked at me and he said, "I would finish it for you." Oh, still makes me. It just, and, and I remember thinking okay, then he's a good writer. He'll need help, but he'll figure this out. And if I have to die tomorrow, that's okay. Aww. And it was at that moment that I think he and I both went, whoa, like you said, whoa, where did that come from? You never said you wanted to be a writer. You never. And so for all my kids, they have seen, I think a dramatic and unexpected, cause I love my day job. You know, yeah. I have a good job. Um, shift in me that I can't wait for five years from now. I can't wait to be 65 and see what, what happens with all this. I mean, I, I know you've already done it and you've had, you know, best-selling books and stuff. I haven't been there, but I, I, I want to do the art part. I want to do the marketing part. I love that you're letting me talk to you. You know, I just, it's, I'm um, yeah, I, I think my kids, uh, they, they aren't very much into fiction, any of them. So I wouldn't say it's their book. <laughs> I had to nag them a lot to get them to read it. Um, but, but I think they understand it for me and, and I love that. Do you have any events coming up, Chris? I don't right now. Okay finished a Southern California book tour, but we are setting up a Northern California book book tour, so I do hope people will look on my website, because within the next month or so, there should be many. Okay, we will post, of course, links
0: to Chris and her book and her website and everything at SatelliteSisters.com. I would wish you good luck, but it sounds like you're the type of person that makes your own good luck, so I think you'll be fine. I have so enjoyed speaking to you. The book is One Murder More. You can find it at Amazon and hardback and in a Kindle version. Chris, uh, I wish you more success and more happiness and just more fun in this decade
1: okay thank you so much it was a delight to talk with you thanks for being here today thanks bye-bye
0: liz you know we love talking about frame bridge don't we we do because (laughs) Because there are just so many fun things to frame Leon, aren't there Visit FrameBridge.com or see a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's FrameBridge.com. Thanks, FrameBridge. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and for chilling sure. there yes. with, your, with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in,
2: in Bend for a part of the summer—
0: Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. I'm Leanne Dolan of Satellite Sisters. It's a pleasure to continue with our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival, our series of conversations with authors, with a first-time uh, novelist, but a wildly experienced writer with a... Uh, With a track record that is envious, my guest is Anne Flett giordano She's a five-time Emmy Award-winning television writer and producer, and her credits are like a who's who of wonderful sitcoms you've watched over the years. Frasier, Hot in Cleveland... Becker, Desperate Housewives, she has three best comedy and two best writing in a comedy series Emmy, she's won a Producers Guild Award and a Golden Globe Award, Uh, she lives in Los Angeles and Santa Barbara, and her first mystery novel is out, "Mary Kiss, Kill, which is a great title with a great cover, and it is a really fun, quick, fast-paced book. It's a pleasure to welcome Anne Flett-Giordano to Satellite Sisters. Hi, Anne, welcome.
3: Hi, thank you. Happy to
0: be here. You know, I'm so, I was thrilled to read in your bio that your first uh, writing gig on TV was one of my all-time favorite shows, Kate and Allie. Anne, you worked on Kate and Allie?
3: Yes, you must have been about two.
0: (laughs) I was, okay, I was not two, but I did used to watch it with my mom, and I Uh just thought that that looked so awesome. Living in a house with just (laughs) two moms, kind of loose house. I wanted to be Allie's daughter so bad. Was Was that a funny experience?
3: It was a really fun experience. Um, my partner, Chuck Ramberg, and I had been, uh, we'd graduated from college. We started writing together in college. We came down to Los Angeles and we'd been trying to get work. And our very first job, we it was in New York. We met Bill Persky in California, but the show was in New York. So we had a week to pack our bags and move to New York. And we lived in New York for 10 years. So, yeah, that was lots of fun um, and great cast. Susan St. James and Jane Curtin were terrific. So great.
0: Why why doesn't Kate and Alley get a reboot? It's, I'm, I'm going to talk about your wonderful book, but I just... <laughs> when is I... the Kate and Alley reboot coming?
3: Oh, I I don't know. It's it's certainly a concept that that you can redo and redo, but I have no idea.
0: Yeah. Well, it was very special to me, so it delighted me to see that
3: on your resume. Yeah, I Um, met my husband there, too, so it all worked out. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a cameraman on the show.
0: Excellent. Okay, it really did work well. There's a show right there. <laughs> is that is that one of the problems with being a TV writer? Is everything sounds like a show to you, or are you kind of over that now because you've been doing this and so no, well?
3: The, the everyone everything sounds like a show to everybody else. People are forever telling me, "Oh, what I do is a show," and then they tell me all about it. And actually, there is a show in everybody. So that's the truth. But um, you know, you have to winnow it down a little.
0: But not a good show is what you're trying it's to not say. Necessarily, no. <laughs>
3: Sometimes a real good show, but you know, you have to, I sort of like to write what I know. I tend to write women's things. Um, and I definitely write comedy. This book, I wanted it to be Raymond Chandler and hard boiled, but as I started writing, I just, I, I just naturally write comedy. Yeah, you couldn't help yourself. It became what it became, which is very. It's, uh, my friends call it a sunshine noir. So,
0: oh, that's a, oh, I like it. All right, <laughs> making up your own genre, excellent. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, uh, the book is Mary Kiss Kill. I mean, it does beg the question: as someone who's been a novelist for a while, wondering like, oh, I should get out of this and go into the TV writing. Why, as a successful TV writer, you wanted to write fiction? Was that something you had always wanted to do, or uh, did you just find yourself with a couple of free seasons and thought? Oh, I'll give it a whirl.
3: It was actually something I didn't think I could do. And, um, so it was sort of, I always said, I don't think I could write a book. Um, you, when you write a script, it's your description is so easy. And then you have actors and, and, wardrobe people and set people and they make it all come alive. And when you write the book, you have to make it come alive yourself. Like
0: yes. Like so every word, like every word writing.
3: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was on hot in Cleveland, which is a show I absolutely loved. Best women ever. Um, yeah. That's cast.
0: quite a cast. Suzanne yeah.
3: Martin created it, loved it so much. Um, and, uh, my mother became ill and I needed to, to retire and go take care of her. And unfortunately, by the time I'd, gotten, I'd left my job and given up my apartment and moved up north, um, she passed away. Aww. So I, I, Suzanne was fabulous and said, come back down. Well, there wasn't money, but she said, we do, just come in two days a week. We'll figure it out. Just, so I was suddenly we're only working two days a week, and I had three days off. And I thought, well, now's the time because I like to write, and I needed a distraction. So I thought, now's the time. And, uh so I wrote the
0: book. Oh, that's you know. I'm so sorry about your mom. What an uh, what a sad story that is. I'm actually surprised you could write after that, having lost it's, my parents a couple of years ago. It was. It's really disorienting and it's really hard. So you just, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's horribly hard. But for me, writing is I'm in a different world. I completely inhabit the world I'm in when I'm writing. So it was a really good way to uh, not deal with my feelings.
0: Oh, (laughs) good.
2: Oh,
3: excellent.
0: (laughs) Well, that won't catch up with you. So don't worry. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) <laughs> um, Mary Kiss Kill is the story of Nola McIntyre. She's a Santa Barbara detective. And, you know, she's in her 30s, so TikTok, And she has a wonderful relationship with her partner, Tony. And uh, there's a series of murders, deaths, suspicious deaths that happen sort of set in and around the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Um, but ultimately, uh, the bad guys are real estate developers because it is California and it is Santa Barbara. Um, why did you decide to set it in Santa Barbara as opposed to LA. Why, why Santa Barbara?
3: Oh, because I love Santa Barbara so much. Actually. Oh, <laughs> and there, there just doesn't seem to be any murder here. And it's just such a lovely place. And I thought it would be fun. Um, all the places I use in the book are places I really go. And um, I've had fun dropping the book off at different places saying you're on page 204 or whatever.
0: Oh, that um, is fun. Little local yeah. celebrity there. That's good.
3: I, I just, I love Santa Barbara and, um, I, I purposely didn't find out how the police department worked because I, I didn't want to be accused of of trying to make it real or using any real people. I invented everyone, and everyone in it is named. Bad guys included are named after my best friends. So. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, I, so that I played so fast and loose with the police department. I really, they're so far as I know, they're just wonderful. And, um, <laughs> it's just such a beautiful place, Santa Barbara. It's such it's a, it's big tourist town, obviously, because it's so beautiful. And, um, so I just thought it would be fun to put these, these heinous people and these horrible murders in this beautiful place.
0: There you go. I know they're dropping like flies <laughs> in your book, Mary Kiss Kill. Um, did you, because you, I mean, mystery has a, a, a specific structure. Uh, were you a big mystery fan before or, you know, did you take a class in mystery writing? Because it's very different than television writing, particularly sitcom writing.
3: Yeah, it's it's very different. Um, no, I was always a huge mystery fan. Okay. I didn't take any classes, but, um, and the plot really evolved as I went along and kept changing and right down to, a certain. I don't want to give anything away, no. but at a certain point I realized I had written myself into a corner and I left it for about a week trying to figure out how to get it. And all of a sudden it occurred to me if I make this male character female and then it all fell into place and it, it just was like magic. So I, I don't know how that works. That's just, that's just my brain. I don't okay. know. Just the
0: process. That's what they call the process. Yeah. I love the relationship in the book between the two police detectives that are partners, Nola and Tony. They had a relationship way in the past, but now, you know, they just go to work every day, but their dialogue is just rapid fire. It's like, boom, 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 boom. It's very funny. It's very topical. Um, What was the inspiration for their relationship?
3: Um. Tony Angelotti is actually three people. It's my one of my best friends from college, Tony Angelotti, <laughs> who talks to me exactly like that. I could just hear his voice. And Didn't um, anyone in the legal
0: department say, are you sure you want to
3: do this? <laughs> no, he laughed. But uh, no, and he's dated more women in the 30 years I've known him than anyone on the planet. Then it was also my husband, Arnie, and he plays disc golf at Casitas, and he dated three girls named Kim at one time, and a lot of the stories are his. And, um, it's also my partner, a uh, writing partner until a couple of years ago when he retired to La Jolla, um, Chuck Ramberg. So it, it was those three guys all, all put into one. I used stories from all of them and they all pretty much teased me like that. So.
0: So is Nola you then? I mean, that seems obvious, but no, maybe not. My- maybe she's three of your other female friends.
3: <laughs> no, it's my voice. Uh, it's definitely my voice. And some of the stories are true, and uh, some of them are totally made up. So um, Nancy Cohen is my best friend. So uh, there's various things like that that are real, but, um, but a lot of it's made up, obviously. I've, I've never been a detective. <laughs> Love to be, but never been. Well, that's the
0: fun thing about novels. You can just make it up. You can make oh, it, it all was, up from the first great.
3: word. Yeah, it was totally great.
0: Yeah, you don't have to follow anyone else's Bible or anything. It's all yeah. yours to make up. Yeah. Did you like the process? It's so solitary, fiction writing, it's, versus, you know, television writing.
3: It's very solitary. I was very, very glad for those two days a week that I had uh, Still Unhot in Cleveland because that was my social network. And that's where all my big laughs came from, and that's where, I mean, honestly, Betty White is as nice as people think she is. Um, Jane, Wendy, uh, Valerie, just absolutely so much fun, and the other writers are so much fun, so... Uh, I would have gone a little bit crazy just being alone by myself all the time. I, I really like the laughs in it. I'm back on a show. I'm on a show called Mom now with Alice and Janney and Anna Ferris And it's a Chuck Lorre, uh, Eddie Gordetsky show. And I just love it. I like I like being with funny people all day. It's the, it's the best job ever. It does,
0: again, so it begs the question, why mystery novels? But, okay, you wanted <laughs> want to scratch that itch.
3: But I was even laughing when I wrote The Murders, and my husband would say, what are you laughing at? And, I'd say, and then he'd read it and go, oh, my God, that's grisly. What is funny? And it was just funny to me that I was writing it because it was so out of the norms. <laughs> um,
0: now I understand it's a series have you started the next one I mean yes
3: I, I started the next one um, and I'm I really do want to do it but uh, mom is a five days a week right. and we are we're in pre-production it'll settle down and then I'll have more time to write on weekends and everything but I'm just getting used to the new job and I'm I'm still that little girl that really wants to do well so I'm completely focused on mom right now um, but I do have about 50 pages of the second book and I will get back to it as soon as I like calm down into the job, that, the new job that I have.
0: You've done some signings though. Have you enjoyed that? Cause that's a pretty new experience.
3: No, I really don't enjoy it at all. Oh. I've, I'm <laughs> a writer because I'm very, very shy. And so it's, it's difficult for me to talk in front of a group of people. Um, everybody has been so nice, so super sweet. And um, in New York, it was terrific. I mean. It, We went through a hundred books in like half an hour. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. And so, so nice, but, um, but I'm just shy by nature. So, and as soon as it's over, I'm happy, happy. And I feel my heart rate go down, but leading up to it, I'm, I'm pretty tense. But
0: don't you have to speak up in the writer's room, fight for your idea and stuff? It just feels uh, different though in a big public appearance.
3: Yeah, it feels totally different um than than speaking in public. The, those guys are all my friends. We're all shouting at each other and having fun. It's it's a whole different thing than than just putting yourself out there to strangers, which I'm really bad at. Is this something that you might develop into a television series? <laughs> um I, I absolutely might. I don't think I would I would run it myself. Um, I have a couple of friends that I would have in mind to run it that I love. Um, but uh, because running a show is really it's a it's a full-time all week long all day all night job and uh, I'm not sure that I would want to do that again at this point but um, but yeah, I've been thinking of it as a series or possibly a movie yeah.
0: You're open to offers. Is that what you're saying?
3: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. it just came out this week and uh, we'll we'll see what's going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
0: Well, Anne, I really appreciate you being on Satellite Sisters. I wish you the best of luck. I really enjoyed the book. The book is Mary Kiss, Kill. It's like a, it's a page turner, but it's funny. It takes you into a different world uh, than probably the one you're living in. And it's just snappy, snappy, snappy. Was that what you, um, was that what you wanted? I mean, you said you set out to maybe no, write I something said, I said Raymond write
3: very serious yeah serious.
0: oh really okay
3: novel, but it just wasn't me it yeah just wasn't, okay wasn't right so yeah so it's funny I'm, I'm I write funny and okay it's my <laughs> there, thing and
0: there you have it and thanks so much for being on satellite sisters we appreciate it thank you I really enjoyed it Thanks to our authors today, Mary Kiskill's author, Anne Flett-Giordano, you just heard from earlier in the hour. We heard from Chris Calvin. One Murder More is her book. For information on this, these two books or any of the books and author conversations from our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival, please go to SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com. You'll find a blog post there, links to other interviews. Maybe you missed Dan Silva or Matthew Quick, or maybe you're looking for some more great summer reads. We have lots of fun author interviews up at Satellite Sisters and ideas for what to read when you're on your vacation or what to listen to when you're in the car. We'd like to thank Audible for their support of Satellite Sisters. If you want to try a free audio download today right now, you can go to our special URL at Audible. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. Audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. All right, team, thanks so much for joining me for the Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. I'm going to take a couple of weeks off, go on a vacation, do a little word writing myself as I finish up my third novel. And hey, I just want to mention Helen of Pasadena and Elizabeth, the first wife, still out there if you're looking for excellent vacation reads, particularly if you're going to say, I don't know, the Ashland Shakespeare Festival. You're going to want to get Elizabeth, the first wife. In the meantime, I'm working on my third book and I'm doing a lot of reading and I'll be back with more author interviews in August. Until then, don't forget, call your satellite sister.